welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Author and pastor Mike Breen tells a story of being on vacation with his family at an amusement park. And he said his kids found this ride. It was like a beach simulator. And so they went in and you actually get changed in your bathing suit and you put these goggles on and they came out a few minutes later and they're like, oh, dad, it's incredible. Like You can actually smell. You feel like you're totally at the beach. You can feel it in your body. You can smell it. You got to try. So he said, I went in and I said, I got, you know, I got changed. I put my goggles on and I put the money in the machine and I waited and it starts to, you know, crank up and I hear this whirring sound. He said, I'm waiting, waiting. And it's whirring, whirring. And he's like, nothing's happening. Then it kind of starts to wind down and it says, please exit to your left. Okay, that was kind of lame. So he came out and they're like, what do you think? He's like, it was kind of lame. Like I didn't, they're like, no, what? What are you talking about? He said, no, like didn't feel like anything. And they said, no, do it again. They send it back in. He said, I got changed again, put my goggles on, put my money and waited. The machine cranks up. And he's like, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Nothing. So came back out. I said to my kids, I don't know what you guys are talking. And he said, they just were, they would not let it go. He said, they made me go back in. Third time, same thing happened. Put my money in, waiting, just standing there. Nothing happens. And I walked back out. And my, my daughter said to me, Dad, what are, you ki- are you kidding? Did you go through the second door? He said, the second door? She said, yeah, the one after the change room. Oh, so he said he went back in, changed, went in, and had this amazing experience at the beach or whatever. And I wonder if that's, for many of us, what the life of faith feels like, where we are standing right next to it, and yet we come to the conclusion over time, I, I guess this is all that it is. We're standing just on the outside of it, just next to it, and we conclude, I guess this is as good as it gets. Right? For some of us, it's like, you know, other people maybe convinced us to come to church or, you know, take the journey of faith or we saw it in other people. And then as we're going, we keep going. We're trying to be faithful and we're trying to keep following. We try to keep showing up and put our money in or whatever and stand there, wait, and nothing seems to happen. And, and people say, yeah, wasn't that amazing? And you're like, yeah, yeah, what are they talking about? And over time, maybe you just start to pretend and saying, yeah, yeah, it's great. But inside, you know, something's dying or you've given up or perhaps... You just said, I'm done, and you walked away. Maybe that's when you exited faith. Maybe it's been a while for you. Maybe first time in a long time. Maybe it's why you left. Maybe others of us feel like, no, I, I feel like I'm just on the edge of it, but I can't quite get it. I see it in other people. I believe it's there. I believe I could experience this, but it hasn't happened yet. I feel like I'm standing right next to it, standing on the edge of it. I hear the sounds of it, but I haven't experienced it yet. And then there's others of us who would say, oh, yeah, like, this is, like, it is what I hoped it would be. Like, it's everything I want it to be. And all it's made me do is want more. I think regardless of where you are on that journey, the good news is there is more. We're not actually wrong or crazy for believing that there could be something more and real that we could experience. Um, you know, we are a growing church, and I've talked to many of you in each of our sites as you're coming, and some of you are coming from situations and places where you've been frustrated in your faith or disappointed, or you, you're just disappointed in life, and you're thinking there must be more, or there must be more to the faith journey, or there must be more to church, isn't there? And you're hoping for that. 
Others of us, you know, perhaps we've experienced that, but we are in growing cities and towns where there are thousands and thousands of people who are wondering, is there more to life than this? And the good news is, yes, there is. This is actually the very thing Jesus said to his first followers. And what's interesting is after they had seen his life, after they had been with him for three years and watched him live and watched the incredible power that he, um, that he had, the way that he treated other people, the authority that he had when he spoke, heard his wisdom for three years, he doesn't say to them, okay, like that's it now. Now you've seen it. Now you've heard it. Just carry on with life or now just go do it. Just be like me. He actually says to them, wait, there is more. After they had seen his life and heard his teaching and watched his example and spent time with him, he said to them, wait, there's more. And I want you to listen to what he says, uh, just as, as coming to the end of his time on earth, after his life with them, the three years he had spent with them in public ministry, after his death and resurrection, listen what he says to them in Acts chapter one. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, like John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, which, don't worry, they didn't know what that meant either. (laughs) You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said to them, wait. There is more, and that more is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I am going to give you the Holy Spirit, which will be power in your life to be my witnesses. What did that mean? Well, I think if I can summarize it for us, it meant he didn't mean, hey, I don't, like, it was, don't just simply watch my life, (laughs) or in a sense, stand next to my life, if we can use that language, or just be around me. I am going to send you my spirit so that you will actually experience firsthand my life. You are going to actually live my life as well from the inside out. And he says, you're going to witness. You're going to be my witnesses. We think the word witness means like, oh, we tell somebody else something we saw firsthand. And of course, that's part of it. But here he means, the word witness means to represent him. In other words, to live like he lived. And he says, if you're going to not just watch my life, not just listen to what I said or hear my teaching, you are actually going to live the life that I lived. You're going to need power to do that. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is the dramatic move of God in history. Not just that God came into our world in the flesh in Jesus, and God lived and spoke and walked among us and taught us and showed us a life. The dramatic move of God is that, what Jesus says is, God is going to send the Spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit to actually be breathed into us or to be poured into us so that we would be, if I can use this word, inspired. (laughs) Inspired to actually live a new life, to become a new person, to be inspirited with the spirit of Jesus. See, a few weeks ago, we celebrated the Easter weekend, the the culmination of the life of Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And then we spent actually four weeks talking about um, uh, questions about Jesus, wrestling with who Jesus is. But Jesus didn't just leave it there, and therefore we can't just stop there. 
He isn't just a life to look at. Um, Jesus isn't just this beautiful example that's way ahead of us in the journey that we can stare off in the distance and think, oh, wouldn't that be nice? But we'll never actually quite be able to live like him. We'll never be able to catch up to him. That's not the good news. The good news of Jesus and this dramatic turn of events or dramatic move of God in history is that the life of Jesus now becomes our life that his spirit is actually poured into us or breathed into us so that we might actually live with him and like him. This word, this word that we're using actually for this series called inspirited, to become new people, to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, to become new people, to change slowly but surely from the inside out. This is the work and purpose of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus says you got to wait till you receive the Spirit so that you can live a new life from the inside out. But the honest reality is for many of us, some of us came from church traditions where they never talked about or spoke about the Holy Spirit. It was the Trinity, if you will, was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. The Holy Spirit was never even mentioned. And it, or it was the old language, the Holy Ghost, just like that just sounds scary, like Scream 5 or whatever. Let's not talk about that. Some of us, the Holy Spirit was never even mentioned. Others of us perhaps came from Catholic traditions, and some of us from Catholic traditions use the sign of the cross. And one of the things when we cross ourselves as Catholics were saying, oh, uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But for some of you, that was just, was like kind of all one word. It's just a thing you did. It's a thing baseball players do when they cross the plate and hit a home run or whatever. Like maybe it's just this thing. Father, Son, Holy Spirit was all kind of like one word, but you didn't really know what does that actually mean? Father, Son, who is the Holy Spirit? I mean, he's a father, God, and can understand Jesus. Okay, who's the Holy Spirit? And how does all that even work together? Some of us are like, I don't even understand. That's the part I get stuck on. I thought it was one God. Why is it three? What does this even mean? Perhaps some of us came from traditions where the Holy Spirit was this mystical kind of spiritual thing that if you're in the Spirit, you know, if you're in that moment in that church service or wherever, you can feel the Spirit. It's something mystical. And then on you go with your life. And yet, the amazing news is that Jesus is not just an incredible teacher that we can learn from. He's not just an incredible Savior who gave up his life for us to forgive our sins and rescue us from death. He's not just this incredible life that we can watch and, and um, see what is it like to live with such power and humility and grace and how do you treat other people. The amazing news is that Jesus has come to live inside of us through his Spirit, that we might be inspirited or inspired by the Holy Spirit to be able to become new people. Now, whether you're from uh, a church background or not, I'd love for you to take a moment just with people around you, and we always like to do this, to talk in church, discuss for a moment, like whatever your church religious faith background was or not, what was your understanding of who the Holy Spirit was when you were growing up? And maybe you're like, I didn't even know, or I heard it, or I crossed myself, or I, but I didn't really know, or yeah, this is my understanding. Just take a moment and share with each other, what was your understanding, maybe if I use the phrase growing up, of what or who the Holy Spirit was?
Well, friends, over the next six weeks, we are going to be journeying through um, this series that I've called Inspired, or where we get the word inspired really means inspirited. What does it mean that God's life has come into our life through his spirit that we might become actually new people or to live a new life from the inside out? And I just feel like um, this is so important for us right now as a church. Some of you, as I said, you're sort of looking for more. You're trying to figure out, is there really more to my spiritual life or to life? And the answer is yes, it is through the Spirit. It is being able to live this new life. Um, some of you perhaps are, uh, you know, you've felt like, yeah, like I'm a follower of Jesus. Or I'm a Christian, but I'm still waiting for that transformation. I still need freedom from some of my habits or my thought patterns. I still need more healing or, or like just to grow in my marriage or my relationships. I still feel like I want to have more joy or sense of purpose or calling in my life. I, I want more. And that, that this is actually found in the spirit. And of course, we are, as we are trying to grow the community of faith in each of our sites in King and Vaughn and Bolton, we want the thousands and thousands of people who live in our cities who still do not yet know Jesus and know that there is more to life. You know, it was a few weeks ago, it was like National Marijuana Day. And my mom said she was um, listening to an interview with someone who talked about why they smoke pot. And she said, I've just, it's just incredible to hear the amount of pain and struggle that so many people have. And in one sense, the best our culture can offer is say, hey, we'll legalize this so you can forget your troubles for a moment. We, as the people of faith, say there's more to life. There is more. There is more to be had. There is a source of power and life and wholeness and filling that remains with you. We don't need another drink. You don't need another joint to actually keep it. And, and so we need to know what is that and how do we live that out? And how does that... Um, transform us from the inside out. And so I have just prayed that this would be a, yeah, just a, a groundbreaking series for us and a time for us to say, okay, we've talked about the life of Jesus through Easter and we've wrestled with it. What does that mean for that life to actually begin to be lived out of us individually and as a community? I want to talk for a few minutes about what does this actually mean that God's spirit, you know, is, is, uh, comes into us, that we are inspired. And then read a passage of scripture that I think is the most important or the, the best part of this whole news and really the starting point for all of us in this. I, I chose my words carefully when I said um, that God's spirit is breathed into us or poured into us. Actually, if you look through all of the pages of scripture, you'll find from the beginning to the end— um, Often, God's spirit is referred to as his breath that is breathed into us. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that God has a physical set of lungs and a respiratory system like a human being does. God is spirit. The idea of God's breath is, is his, his life or his animating power right? Like breath actually makes us alive. And all the way through scripture, we find that God actually breathed our world into existence. And it's not talking about the science of how matter was formed, but the fact that God himself has made this world come alive, has animated all that we see with his breath, with his life force, if you will. And that he actually breathed into us as human beings, as people, men and women made in his image, that we are not, we don't just have physical breath in our lungs, but we are spiritual beings. We are more than just flesh and bones, that we are made alive by the breath of God. 
And then we see God's spirit being breathed into people uh, all the way through the Old Testament, breathing into them for creativity, wisdom, leadership, physical strength, like God giving his spirit or lending his power or his life force to people to do things and to say things and to create things and to be able to live and lead. And then, of course, when Jesus arrives on the scene, at, at, at the beginning of his public ministry, it said that the Holy Spirit descended on him and that, in a sense, he, Jesus, was full of the Holy Spirit, full of the life of God. And that everything Jesus taught, everything Jesus did, and the way that he lived was through the power and the breath of the Holy Spirit. That this is um, the breath of God is God's animating power in us. It is his presence within us, but it is his life force that God, in a sense, gives us his life. (laughs) Not just that we don't just stand next to God's life, that we don't just look at God's life, or we don't just think about it or hear about it or learn about it or get taught about it, that God pours his life into us. It is his breath that makes us alive. So that's one word that, that expresses that. But the other word that I, that I use that, I, that is, I think is very accurate to Scripture is that it is a drink that is poured into us. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that we were all, us followers of Jesus, were all given one spirit to drink. Uh, in Ephesians 5.18, he actually makes it analogous to alcohol, to spirits. He says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled or drink the spirit. See, the idea of the breath of God implies this like life and, and um, animating power. The idea of drinking the spirit implies influence, right? We actually use that word influence to describe what happens when you've had too much of the regular spirits to drink. In fact, the, the word spirits comes from the fact that back in the days of alchemy and dis- when they were first distilling alcohol, they thought that alcohol had this magic power to turn metal into gold. And so it was like a spiritual power, which is not far off the mark in many ways for people. That is their spiritual power. That is the thing that helps them lose their inhibitions or feel strong or whatever. But Paul says, yeah, like that, that's, he, he makes this analogy. He's saying that's what alcohol does for us. And like, but don't be under its influence. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, as in drink more and more, not just breathe it in and be made alive by God's breath, but drink more and more of the Spirit so that your life is progressively influenced by the Spirit. And these two ideas are at the core of what it means to be inspired or inspirited by God's Spirit that God gives us his life, that we have the power, like Jesus says, actually to live his life, to represent him. That's what he says. Wait, you need power. You're not just going to learn from me or look at me. You're going to live like me, and you need power to do that. The breath of God is his power for us to live that life. And and the drink of the Spirit is this, this thing that we take into our body more and more and more, that more and more we are under this influence of the Spirit. And both of them speak to this idea of becoming a new person and living a new life from the inside out, breath on the inside of us, drink being poured into us and beginning to influence us from the inside out. This is what it means. It is the spirit of Christ that is breathed into us. It is the life of Christ that we take into us more and more that begins to transform us from the inside out. And this is what I've said to you many times, that life with God, life of faith, is not about external conformity, that somehow we look good and we always behave properly, and morally on the outside we are upstanding people, and yet inside full of fear, full of insecurity, full of bitterness, full of a whole bunch of mess. No. We, are, we take the life of Christ into us so that true transformation, the beauty that comes from us, is actually true and real, that we get changed from the inside out.
But the best news about this gift of the Spirit that Jesus said to his disciples, described as a gift, the best news about the breath of God that we breathe in, or the, the Spirit that we drink into our body that progressively influences us, it's the most important news, is what we are, are going to hear from now. When the disciples actually listened to Jesus and a bunch of them gathered together, and not just the, the 11, but it says there were about 120 at that time who were sort of the core followers of Jesus. Um, his disciples, um, the, the 11 and the, uh, the uh, men, plus women who had become followers and disciples of him, plus his mother and his brothers, and this small following of people who had seen him die and raised from the dead and now were um, doing what he told them to do and waiting, and they were praying regularly. And I want you to listen to what happened one day, finally. As they met regularly to pray and to wait, like Jesus said, here's what happened. When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pompophilia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. This is the account of what happened when the, the group of 120 people waited for what Jesus said would come, and when the Holy Spirit actually, for the first time, was breathed into them or poured into them. Now, here's the thing. Whether you've read this passage before or not, uh, and I've read it many times, and every time I read it, even from the first time, 
um, there's things that stick out to you that seem really that you tend to notice first. And the problem is if you notice them first, you miss some of the other things that we're really meant to notice. <laughs> so like when I first hear that red, like what sticks out to me is like there was the sound of a violent wind. I'm like, oh, that sounds like what is that? <laughs> that sounds scary. Or then tongues of fire came to rest on each person. It's like that's so weird. Like was it actually fire? And we don't even use that language, tongue of fire. So, okay, so there's some flame over each person said that's weird. And if you had a picture Bible and you're a kid, you're like, that's strange. Is their head hot? Is it burning their hair? What is that? Like, that sounds weird. This idea that people started to speak in tongues, which actually just means other languages, but this idea of like, oh, what? Like, there's this, there, uh, like, there's this weird thing going on. And a bunch of people around them think they're drunk, which, no kidding. I mean, it was obviously like loud enough that a it says a bunch of people kind of gathered around this house where there's a wind shaking and people are starting to speak out loud in really strange languages. And so that's the stuff we notice. But don't miss this, which is so significant. Three really significant things um, that we're actually meant to see through this. Verse 1, it says they were all together. This is the 120. All of them together, a mixed group of people, men and women, young and old, like some who were like in the core following of Jesus, some who were new followers. Like It was a mixed bag of people all together, 120 of them. Verse 3 the Spirit rested on each of them, every single one of them. It didn't just say the disciples or the, the inner circle or Peter or whatever. Every single one of them who was there. In fact, every single one of them began to speak, it says, all of them. And it says in verse 5 that people from every nation under heaven were gathered around them because they were in town for a festival. And these are the most significant parts of this verse. As the Spirit is poured out, they're all together. The Spirit is given or rests on each of them. They all speak, and people from every nation under heaven get to hear the words and wisdom of God in their own language in a way that they can understand. <laughs> and Peter himself, who was kind of one of the unofficial, if not the unofficial sort of leader of the church at that moment, or the Jesus movement, doesn't miss it either. He actually stands up and, and, you know, they think they're, they're drunk and which is so funny because this analogy of the spirit is something you drink. He's like, guys, this isn't, these people aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> um, this is something that God actually said hundreds of years ago would happen. And he quotes from a prophecy from the book of Joel, something that was written several hundred years ago. All of a sudden in that moment, right? He's, Peter's living this through. He's seeing the violent wind shaking and like tongues of fire coming and people speaking. And in a moment, the spirit helps him understand what's happening here. And he calls it out so that nobody misses. He says, hey, this was always God's plan. And he quotes from the prophet Joel. And he says this, hundreds of years ago, guys, remember God said this, I will pour my spirit out on all people. And he lists when the categories of everybody that's included that probably would have also been represented in that room. He said, and, and he quotes Joel, on sons and daughters, on young men and old men, on servants, or that word actually means slaves, and on men and women. It was actually like Peter's way of saying, hey, these categories of, of how, of all, who, like, that God's spirit is given to everyone. There isn't anyone in this group who's missing out. Young and old, male and female, rich and poor, right? That's an implication of even on servants or even on slaves. And 
this wasn't in the book of Joel, but he's seeing it. And there's every nation under heaven who's actually experiencing this for every ethnicity. All of the categories, in a sense, if the spirit is something we drink, it's like, it's like Peter was saying, hey, this is an open bar for all ages, for all people, right? This is, this is God's spirit given to everyone. And here's what's so significant, right? Because in Israel's history, they would have assumed or concluded that it was the old people who would have gotten close to God and God's spirit. In those days, if you were young, or especially if you were a child, you were not considered really even a legitimate human until you came of age uh, and became an adult and could contribute to your family, whatever. Up to that point, you were just property or a retirement plan for somebody, right? Because if you had kids, they were your retirement plan. You didn't have RRSPs. You're hopefully your kids grew up, took over the family business. So you weren't valuable until you could actually prove that you could take over. So you were kind of considered property in one sense. So it was the old who were valued and considered closer to God not the young. It was men, not women. Women also kind of generally in that society and not just in Jewish culture, but in first century and in the ancient Near East, occupied more of the place of property, right? Someone who could bear children who were part of the retirement plan for the male and the male households. Um, and, and also the, the rich, those who were wealthy, those who had status, those who owned land. Um, in an agrarian society, if you were wealthy, it meant because it, was, it rained on your crops. And who controls the rain? Well, God. So if you're wealthy, you're blessed and you're favored by God. If you're poor, if you're a slave, you're not. You wouldn't be close to God. And Israel, and actually every nation around that was very ethnocentric, but Israel had come to believe that God was only for them. <laughs> in their language, in Hebrew, uh, in their ethnic context. <laughs> and God blows apart these categories. And Peter sees it happening with who's in the room and remembers that God said this is always the way it would be. Young men and old, old men. <laughs> men and women, rich and poor, and for every nation. It's an open bar for all ages and all people. Everyone gets God's spirit to drink. Everyone gets the breath of God poured into them. We all get the spirit. In other words, this is the gift that God has given to us, that every one of us gets to have. Those who, who are in Christ, if you say, okay, I want to be a follower of Jesus, this isn't just Jesus is way down the road and you got to look at his life and somehow try to live and do your best and listen to the teaching and try to obey and try to follow. No, you get the spirit poured into you. You get Jesus living on the inside of you. Like if you say, well, the spirit, the spirit's going to get poured into me. Isn't that scary? Like, I don't want this mighty wind. I don't want a tongue of fire. No, no, very simply, what's the spirit going to do in your life? Look at Jesus. You're going to become like him. That's the Spirit's goal, because it is the Spirit of Christ living in you to make you more like Jesus, so that over time you begin, you get transformed from the inside out. More and more you begin to think like Jesus. More and more you be able to actually live out the teaching, because he's instructing you from the inside out. The law of God, if you will, is written on your heart on the inside. That more and more you begin to treat people the way Jesus treated people. That more and more you begin to be able to live your life for the sake and in the service of others just like Jesus did. <laughs> that word witness actually means um, martes or martyr, which is someone who dies or loses their life. That's the picture. We die our old way of life. We don't live for ourselves anymore. And we don't live uh, with our own power. We receive the power of Christ. We die and Christ begins to live in us and we live a new life. That's why the apostle Paul says in one verse, he says, I, uh, I myself no longer live but Christ lives in me. And I live my life in this body by trusting in the Son of God who lives in me. 
This is the power and the gift of the Spirit. That Jesus more and more makes us like him, that transforms us from the inside out. But listen, even though it's an open bar for all ages and for all people, I think many of us still count ourselves out of the party because of our age. Either we feel like we're too old, we can't really, you know, life, most of life is behind us. Too old, I can't live that dynamic life. There isn't more for me. Or too young, I don't know enough, I'm not smart enough, or I'm too immature, or people don't trust me, or people don't see me, right? Some of us count ourselves out of the party because of our age. Some of us because of our gender. Some of us because of our social status. We don't consider ourselves uh, smart enough, intellectually strong enough, successful enough in the eyes of the world, or enough bank money in our bank account, or we're just barely scraping by. We don't, just, we don't consider ourselves successful enough, so how could we live this life? We just compare ourselves to others. Or perhaps we discount ourselves because of our skin color, because of the country we were born in, our ethnic background, our language, or our command of the English language or some other language because of what our parents told us about our skin color, about our nationality, or what we observe, the way other people treat us because of that, or just because of our past. We think, well, I have a, I have a messy past. I haven't lived well enough for God to actually give me a spirit. I'm just happy to be in the room. I'm just happy to be next to people who are drinking deeply of the spirit, and I'll just hang around with them. Friends, no. None of us are meant to discount ourselves from being at the party, from being able to breathe in the Spirit of God, to be able to drink that and to have the Christ life living inside of us. And so I want to actually just take a moment as we like throughout this series, we're going to have chances for you to, to experience this, but I want to take a moment to pray over any of you that have discounted yourself from it because of your age, because of your gender, because of your social status, your success, or your intellect, or your ethnicity, or your past. I know even my own wife, Jen, and I have her permission to share this with you. Like She's been a follower of Jesus for a number of years, but she grew up in a church tradition that um, where women were not um, sort of publicly involved in leading or using their gifts in any way. Um, the women weren't even allowed to speak in the public gatherings. Um, and, and so even though she knew that that wasn't true about her, um, she still felt often stuck like that Jesus was inviting her to follow him. But there was a barrier. And at one point we were away at a pastor's conference together and there were some people praying over us. And she just had this picture and this vision of Jesus inviting her to follow him more closely. And she felt like she couldn't. She felt like there was a barrier. And we actually prayed. We, we prayed for that barrier to come down. We prayed for the lid that was in a sense on her, blocking the, the breath of God being poured into her, the, the life of God being poured into her. We prayed it off. And she and I would both say that in these last six years, she has just experienced way more freedom in her life with God, way more peace, way less insecurity about who she is and how God made her, and more power as she walks more confidently in the spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk in a few weeks about what is, what is, how does the Spirit actually show up in our lives. She just feels like she has way more freedom and power in doing that. And so I just know that this is possible for many of us, even though we might know it in our heads. She knew that she was invited to experience Christ equally as everyone else. And yet there was something in her, something in her past kind of blocking her from that. We needed to pray that off. And I want to pray that, that these barriers for some of you, because of your age, too old or too young, or because of your gender, or because of your uh, social status or your intellect, or because of your ethnicity or your skin color, because of your past, there's a block or there's a, there's a lid on you being able to breathe in the Spirit of God or have the Spirit poor 
poured into you. And so here's what I want to do. And I just invite you to take a risk. You don't have to do this. But I know in that moment for Gentry, it's just like, yeah, I want this removed. If that's you, if you're someone who you feel like because of your age, whatever age you are, because of your gender, because of your intellect or your social status or your bank account or how successful you are or in your own standard or in your parents' standard or in the eyes of the world, in your career or school, um, because of your skin color, your nationality, your country of origin, your ethnic background, your language, or because of your past, your story, that somehow you would be discounted from the party. If that's you in any way, would you just stand up? Because I want to pray <laughs> that barrier to be removed, that block to be removed, so that you can come to Jesus and receive his spirit. I want to pray that lid off you so that his breath, <laughs> the breath of God can be poured into you, to you made alive, so that the spirit can be poured into you and drink deeply in it, so that you can have more power to live like Jesus, more um, uh, experience of closeness to Jesus, and more and more influence of Jesus in your daily life. If that's you, just stand. And I want to pray over you. Jesus, in your name and by your power, for these people who have stood up and said, yes, I want more of the life of Christ. In your name, Jesus, we remove those barriers. We remove any blocks that have been put in by our own thinking, by other people, by the enemy of our soul. In the name of Jesus, we remove those blocks. I pray that those walls will be torn down between these people who have stood up and you. In your name, Jesus, I pray off that lid, that cap, that limiter that would block them from being able to breathe in your spirit that you, so that you would be able to make them alive in you. So that your spirit would be poured into them more and more so that the increasing influence of the presence of Jesus would be seen and known in their lives. In your name, Jesus, we pray down those walls. We pray off that block. So fill them with your spirit that they can experience your life working with them from the inside out. No longer just feeling like they're just on the outside of it, that it's for other people or not for them, but that they're so close but can't actually experience. Lord, from this day forward, may they experience a new freedom in you as your spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus is poured into them, is breathed into them. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.